Since the beginning of the church, persecution has been part of the Christian experience. In fact, the Bible tells us that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. Today, an estimated 360 million Christians are living under severe religious restriction. On this podcast, we share their stories. And we answer the question, how can American Christians live as Christ in an increasingly hostile culture? The way of the persecuted is the harder way. And this is the Harder Way Podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Scott. And I'm Maddie. And welcome to the Harder Way Podcast. Hey, Maddie, something's wrong with your voice. Yes, I had a little bit of a cold last week and did a two-hour lecture last night. So my voice is a little bit fried, but our information here today is so important. Uh, it's, It's worth the strain. We knew we had to get that out to you. Okay, so maybe I'll do a little more of the talking this week. Yes, probably. A little more of a break. Okay. In our first episode, we told you that we are Bible people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we want to uh, do is break that down and talk to you about the power of Scripture and the role that Scripture should play in our lives. And our sources on this are Scripture, mm-hmm. our personal experience, and also the wisdom of the persecuted church. So we hope that that those three sources will give you some inspiration uh, the way they have uh, for us. Yes, and we know that this topic is a very timely one. We were really shocked and disheartened by a recent study that revealed just how little Christians are actually reading their Bibles. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, only 3% of professing Christians claim to read their Bible more than four times per week. So that's not even every day, and that's only 3%. Only 9% of professing Christians say that they read their Bible at least once a month. Only 11% say that they read it at least once a year. So where's that other 77%? That means that the other 77% of professing Christians don't even open their Bibles once a year. That's heartbreaking. Absolutely. But why does this matter so much? What's so special about the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> I, know, I know you know the answer, yeah. but thanks for asking. For, you're, for you're, welcome, you're welcome. So uh, first of all, well, the, the answer to this question is a, long, a lengthy one, but mm-hmm. I'm going to give you more of a Reader's Digest version. For younger folks listening, that means a shortened, abbreviated <laughs> version. Um, uh, the 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 Bible is inerrant, and, and what that means is inerrancy kind of encompasses infallibility uh, into its definition as well. So what it means is number one, the Bible is never going to steer you wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's going to always point you in the right direction. And number two, it's never going to tell you that anything is so that is not so. It's right. not going to tell you an untruth. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, the the Bible is our source of truth. And also it is authoritative. That means that because it is a divinely inspired word of God, that it has the final say in all Mm -hmm. matters of faith and practice, period. Uh, And also the Bible is the book of Jesus. And so... Uh, a while back, the way the reason why we came up with this this term, it's the Book of Jesus. That's kind of new to uh, to the to the Christian community, and mm-hmm. it's something that that, that uh, originated, we think, with us. You, you know, there's nothing there's nothing no, new under the sun. <laughs> there's nothing new under the sun, and more than once I've invented something only to find somebody else invented it 500 years ago. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, the Book of Jesus came from this idea. So basically. 
Uh, some scholars challenged me to write a new theology of the Bible, and I thought, oh, it's going to be this huge undertaking, mm-hmm. and my ego was very gratified in the idea that I'd get to do this great academic pursuit. and It's going to be really complicated. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to impress all these people. You know, my focus was totally on the flesh. And as I started to get into it, I began to realize um, the theology of the Bible is really quite simple, and it really is straightforward, and... I could do it on one page. <laughs> one page. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I I put my pride down and uh, uh, and put the desire to impress uh, my my colleagues down, and I just uh, looked at what the Bible said. And so this is why the Bible is the book of Jesus. Basically, Jesus in Luke twenty four mm-hmm. tells us that the Bible is about him. He says. On the road to uh, to Emmaus, he says to the two men he's walking with, "Come, let me show you all the law and the prophets mm-hmm. have to say about me, about him." Yeah, and that's what we would call the Old Testament today, right? Yeah, and so we have uh, the Old Testament is then by Jesus's own words about Jesus. Okay, and then the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Who are the Gospels about? Gospels are about Jesus. One hundred percent about Jesus. <laughs> all right? about Jesus. It's the story of Jesus, and then. Um, uh, what is the book of Acts about? The book of Acts is about uh, the beginnings of the church, the body of Christ. And the church is the body of Christ, and so the church is mm-hmm. Jesus. Yep. So Acts is about Jesus. Well, what about uh, all of the, uh, the the letters that come after Acts? The epistles. Well, in the, well, in the epistles, uh, they're not only explaining the principles taught by Jesus, but they are uh, telling the body of Christ, how to function as the body of Christ, how to live. So then the epistles are about Jesus too. So, so, and Revelation is about what happens to the church, about the mm-hmm. return of the Jesus. The return of Jesus, that, right? Uh, exactly. Regardless of your eschatological view, eschat- mm-hmm. eschatological means in times, times, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. As an aside, funny story where we used to live, uh, there is a. Uh, a senior citizen uh, home called Escaton Manor. And we always thought that was really... Uh, kind of dark. Kind of dark when you think yeah. Escaton means the end. And so it's... Uh, my family's having a nice time. My parents are having a wonderful time. Living at the end. At the end manner. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, so the Bible then, everything is about Jesus. And so mm-hmm. it is therefore the book of Jesus. Uh, and when it is the book of Jesus... Uh, it becomes something altogether more. Mm-hmm. But that's why the Bible has the power to transform and shape us spiritually. It's so much more than just a book, so much more than a book that tells us what to believe or religious practices to do. Uh, it is actually a way for us to engage with Jesus. Do you want to share a little bit um, about what, what that means? Yeah, well, if you go to John 15... Right, we have this beautiful image of uh, of the vine and the branches, mm-hmm. and Jesus says he's the vine. And, and for those of you, you know, in, in wine country, you know that that's that's like the, referring to the grapevine, and mm-hmm. the branches are the, are the branches that come off, and the yeah. branches bear fruit, right? But if you cut a branch off a grapevine, it it can't, can't do anything. Any all fruit. it can do is just die. Yeah. Right. And so you just you know all you can do is gather it up and throw it in a fire. It's not good for anything else. Uh, just kindling. And so um, the idea then is that Jesus is telling the early church, he's telling his disciples really at this point, because this is in his last big teaching before mm-hmm. he goes to the cross. He's saying, hey, look, I'm the vine. So I'm rooted. I have the, I have the, 
the food. I have the, the fuel that you need. I have the lifeblood that you need in order to live and in order to bear fruit. So if you want to live, you want to bear good fruit, you've got to be connected into me. That's the yeah. only possible way to do it. And so we say, well, that's a great plan. How do we do it? Well, if the Bible is the book of Jesus, um, take three guesses on how you might connect to Jesus. <laughs> the Bible, right? Yep. Think of it like this. Because the Bible is the book of Jesus, it becomes not just a physical place where we can read about Jesus, mm -hmm. but it becomes a spiritual place of encounter. Mm -hmm. And so a meeting place. It's a meeting yeah. place. It's like it's like the tent of meeting. It's like the holy of holies. Mm -hmm. It's yes. like an altar where you can go and, 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 and meet with God. And so it becomes a special physical and spiritual place where we can abide in Christ. Now there's other ways of abiding. Yeah. Like, what are some other ways like, of abiding? Well, some of the primary ways that we can abide with Christ are things like prayer, worship. We can abide with Christ by abiding with his body, so being in community with other believers. But I really do think that engaging with the book of Jesus is one of the absolute best, most important yeah. ways to abide with him. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a great analogy that comes from a spiritual disciplines book uh, by a guy named Donald Whitney, and he compares uh, the Bible with a tea bag. So he says that uh, we as Christians are like cups of hot water. And that the Bible. That true. Some people are hotter than others. Yeah. Um, just as long as we're not lukewarm water, right? <laughs> That's, right. That's uh, right. But the Bible is the tea bag. And that the more that we saturate ourselves, the more that the water is saturated with the tea bag, the more flavorful, the more colorful it becomes. And so he says that the scripture, the more time we spend in it, the more time we meditate on it, is going to color our thinking. It's going to flavor our lives. It's going to change the way that we think, the way that uh, we view the world, the way we engage with the world. Wow. So going back to that introduction... Only those people with that 3% of people who are reading the Bible four times a week mm -hmm. really have a shot yeah. at really being transformed by the Bible. Absolutely. And and we know that even with four days a week, that's, you know, half the time, 50% of days approximately, right. a little less. And what's more. really, you know, we, we didn't uh, touch on in our introduction was that in the church itself, Mm -hmm. So many churches do not even read the Bible or it's so little yeah. from the pulpit. There's so mm -hmm. much self-help and, you know, that moralistic, therapeutic deism that gets taught from the pulpit rather than actual Bible teaching often, mm -hmm. you know, I think we're moving back towards Bible teaching, but we're, yes. we still have the other going on. And because of that, you know, we don't, the people might not be getting any Bible in their life at all other than John 3.16 when they watch a football game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's very sad. And it's interesting juxtaposition when we look at the way that we as American Christians are currently engaging with the Bible. And then we look at how persecuted Christians look at the Bible. So do you want to share a little bit about some of the things we can learn about the role of the Bible, the importance of the Bible uh, from the persecuted church perspective. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I think our, our adversary, uh, our enemy, has has two main strategies uh, for keeping the Bible uh, out of people's hands. Mm -hmm. 
the American strategy is flood the marketplace with Bibles so mm-hmm. that it becomes so cheap, so ubiquitous that everybody's like, I don't, I, mm-hmm. whatever. We don't value it. Right. I've got yeah. 10 Bibles and they all are collecting dust. Yeah. And the persecuted church, his strategy is keep it as far away from them as possible. Don't mm-hmm. let them get Bibles. And so in our experience, and this has been a 100% thing, 100% of the time, we will frequently ask Christians uh, after we've met with them. And remember, you know, we've built a special relationship with them. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't come to their ministries the way other people do. So we come in and we, they know we've paid a price to be with them. They know we're not trying to take over their pulpits or be there, become their teachers. We're just mm-hmm. there to serve them and minister to them. And they oftentimes will open up to us in ways that they won't open up to other people, to other even other missionaries. Yeah. And so we'll ask them, if we could bring you just one thing, um, Whatever that one thing is, uh, you tell us what it is, and we'll try to bring it to you. What is the one thing you would want us to bring? And they'll always say Bibles, or they'll say wow. just just pray for us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because number one, the persecuted church knows the power of prayer. Yes. Right. And number two, they know the power of Scripture, and they're so limited on their ability to get it that they deeply treasure it, and. So I think that, number one, our, our priorities should switch in the American church or in the Western church to having a high value of the Bible itself, just having yeah. the Bible. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is um, we can see how they treasure the Scripture by how they treat it. So a couple of things that I've heard over the years or seen over the years, mm-hmm. in the Romanian church, for instance, and this was not just them, this was all across persecuted churches, but my mind goes back to the Romanian church. One of the things that they would do when they were under Ceausescu, they were under persecution, uh, and they had pretty severe really persecution. Severe, yeah. yeah, what they do is they would uh, tear the Bible into individual pages. There, and then mm-hmm. they would. In fact, I have a, a page torn out of a Romanian Bible in my study mm-hmm. uh, that I keep as a reminder of this. And they would each each person in the church would get a page, and your responsibility would be to memorize that page. Wow. Or just to read it and you know and commit as much to heart as possible, and then you would trade pages with people uh, when you were done with that page. And uh, another example would be uh, we'd brought uh, some a bunch of resources into a persecuted church, all Bible resources, mm-hmm. meaning children's New Testaments, yeah. um, Gospels of John, uh, scripture booklets, just booklets filled with scriptures, or whole Bibles. And the whole Bibles were pretty limited. Mm-hmm. And in, in this country, they weren't able to get any Bibles at all for years on end. And so we said, well, how do you dis- determine who gets these? And they said, well, we'll give the new believers or the, or the people in the church a scripture booklet. And those who commit those scripture booklets, and then they had like 90 or 100 scriptures in them. Yeah, Those who commit those scripture booklets to mem- memory, then we'll trust them with the gospel of John. Wow, and then if they and if they work through that and they really commit that to memory and they're faithful with that, mm-hmm. we'll give them a New Testament if we have it. And so, uh, wow, wow, right? Yeah, that's really different from the way that we engage with Scripture here in the United States. Yeah, we're just throwing Bibles out everywhere. Here, you have a Bible. Have a Bible, have a Bible. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're arguing over which translation, and they're going, "Please, just anything, anything in our language yeah. is fine. Thank you. Uh, we really need it." So the persecuted church really, really, really values Scripture. Highly, mm-hmm. and uh, but what, what what do we do? How do, how do we engage with the Bible? What, what are some things that we can do with it? 
Well, first and foremost, we obviously know uh, just reading it uh, or even listening to it is the most important thing. Just getting it into our hearts, getting it into our minds, that is critical. And it doesn't matter what translation it is, as long as it's one that you can read and understand, so it's in your language and it's at your reading level, uh, getting that into you. You can read small portions at a time or big portions. You can listen to it for five minutes or five hours, but just reading it and listening to it. We can also memorize it. And we just talked about that, that in the persecuted church, they place a high value on scripture memorization. And that's something that... Uh, we don't see quite that often anymore here in the Western church. Interestingly, in the persecuted church, um, those who were around when persecution was had not started yet, was about to start, mm-hmm. many of them will say that they had this overwhelming urge to memorize Scripture. Wow. And uh, the, the, the founders of our ministry actually have a Bible that was written from memory in a Soviet gulag. Because this pastor had been so committed to memorizing scripture that he had basically recreated the Bible the from Bible. memory. It just there were some yeah. gaps in it, but I mean it was it was still it yeah. would impress your socks. The Bible's off. pretty big. <laughs> the Apostle Paul will be going, That's pretty good, bro. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And uh so memorizing scripture, but also just meditating on it, which oftentimes means just taking one verse or a couple of verses, a small passage and really just saturating your spirit in that verse, in that passage, really allowing it to speak to you, reading it over and over, and really praying for God to reveal to you what what does this mean? What uh, What is the message here? And allowing that to transform your heart and mind. Right. That, yeah, and that's really important. You know, um, as we think about... Um, the importance of the Bible. We need to think about ways to get it into our daily life. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I always have this thought, like um, people, when it comes to spiritual formation activities, and that's what this is, reading the Bible, abiding in Christ is a spiritual formation activity. Or yes. it's, it is something you do to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in transforming you into being more like Jesus. Yeah, growing so not, in Christ likeness. Growing yeah. in, exactly. And um, so people have this idea sometimes like it always has to be like Thanksgiving dinner. Mm. Now I know like you uh, and your and your mother, you'll work sometimes for two days preparing for Thanksgiving dinner prior to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's a and, lot of work. And so people sometimes think their Bible uh, their Bible reading or study has to be that way. First, you have to drive to Starbucks. <laughs> then you have to get order your drink and you have to set up your table. Then mm-hmm. you have to take the picture of the table, post it post on, on Instagram, Instagram, right? And then uh, and then or whatever. Or you have mm-hmm. to have a, a, a sacred space, and you have you know have to, it, it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. Because you know we eat 365 days of the year in America. We don't usually miss a lot of meals yeah. around. Most in, people in eat three meals a day every day. Right. <laughs> Uh, and even in the persecuted church, you know they're they're usually eating at least one meal a day. Yeah. Uh, sometimes less, but some they're eating something. Yeah. Right. But um, does reading the Bible have to be like preparing Thanksgiving dinner? 
It doesn't. We have this idea that it has to be this really intense, in-depth study every time we're reading the Bible, but it's just about getting it into you. And yes, there are times when it's really important and really powerful to dive really deep into scripture and into all of the historical context and pull out all the concordances and just spend hours and hours uh, diving as far as you can. But it's even more important that we're engaging with scripture on a daily basis. And we can do that in small ways. We can do it by just having the audio Bible playing throughout the day, putting it on while we're cleaning or while we're exercising. We can do that by just putting up scripture verses in our house. There's so many different kind of wall decor and home decor items that have verses straight from the Bible printed on them. Or just writing it yourself, whether they're sticky notes with scripture, putting them on different places on your desk. We have a chalkboard in our kitchen that's supposed to be a uh, menu chalkboard, but my mom actually puts different verses up there. And so every time we walk into the kitchen or anytime we walk within view of that, we can turn and read whatever verse or verses are on there. And so every time we do that, we're getting scripture into us. You can also just put uh, a simple, easy-to-read translation in a place where uh, it's convenient. So maybe you have one in the uh, glove compartment of your car because you know that you have to wait, you know, a couple minutes before you pick up your kids or you're going to have to wait before your doctor's appointment or whatever. Just simple things like that that can help get the scripture into us every single day because we know that only 3% of Christians are reading their Bibles at all four times a week. So what percentage is actually reading it every day? I mean, it could be infinitesimal. We Very, very small percentage of Christians are probably getting the Bible into them every day. And we need to change that. We really do. We really do. Um, I want to go back on a couple of things that we've talked about and just hit and clarify a couple of points. First of all, you mentioned um, using any Bible translation Mm -hmm. that you can read. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, we know like we can go from the King James to the e- English Standard Version to the, the NIV to the New Living Translation uh, to the Contemporary English Version to the Christian mm-hmm. Standard Bible. I mean, there's a lot of them. Yeah. And they, and they meet that criteria. What about the Message Bible? So the Message Bible is interesting because although it's called the Message Bible, it really should be called the Message Bible Commentary or the Message Bible Mentary. Trademark. Yeah, trademark, TM. We, we made that yeah. word up. <laughs> if you use that, you owe me a dime. Uh, but the, the Message Bible is not actually a translation of the Bible. It is actually a paraphrase where uh, Eugene Peterson was going through and just explaining uh, his interpretation and understanding of what particular verses meant. But instead of a traditional commentary where you have a Bible and then you have the commentary written at the bottom, he organized it in a way where the commentary was really just organized exactly like a Bible with the chapters and verses all in the same order as the Bible. And so something like that can be helpful if you're reading uh, a regular Bible translation and you're kind of struggling with... Uh, how to interpret that or what that might mean, you can check out the message in the same way you would check out any other Bible commentary. But I would not recommend looking at the message as a Bible translation uh, because it's not really a Bible. It's it's a little bit different. And we'll do a teaching later. We'll explain uh, we're, in, in the coming months. We'll explain in depth 
why there are so many translations. Mm-hmm. It's really not that big of a deal. Uh, spoiler they, alert: There are no conspiracies. We'll we'll say that to you right now. Yeah, spoiler. Yeah, no, there's no conspiracies. It's really not as big a deal as people make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to mention was you mentioned memorizing scripture. Yes, you know we have this abundance of Bibles in America. Mm-hmm. I like to memorize scripture in the King James version. Yes, and I do that because it's the language is different enough that it sticks in my brain. Yes. Have you guys, I'm sure viewers or listeners, I should say, have noticed that when you're reading the King James Version, you know, it's kind of that Shakespearean style English. Uh, It's very poetic. The words are very beautiful. It's written in this very eloquent way. Uh, So when we memorize scripture in the King James Version, it kind of is like when you're trying to memorize a poem or memorize songs or memorize song lyrics. Uh, It's much easier to memorize a poem than it is to just memorize a block of regular text. And so because of that, sometimes it's a lot easier to memorize something from the King James Version, which is this kind of poetic language, than it is to memorize and say the NLT, which is just language that we use every day. Yeah, absolutely. But put the NLT uh, someplace where you're going to read mm-hmm. casually. That's the perfect uh, glove compartment translation it is. It or the, you know, the yeah. kitchen translation. Or, like me, I used to throw a gospel of John, or I still do if I'm crossing a border into a persecuted country. I'll have a Gospel of John in my back pocket and try mm-hmm. to break it out while I'm crossing the border because it's kind of funny to me. And it's also awesome. Yeah. I'm reading the Bible <laughs> while trying to take the Bible into these persecuted Amazing. countries. Um, the last thing we want to we want to hit on today is the importance of having a physical Bible. Yeah. Now, now, just stick with us for a minute. We're not trying to... to insult Bible apps and things like that. They are amazing, wonderful tools. But our adversary has used the, uh, the, uh, the technology, technology against the church. And let let me tell you how. So in China, um, we used to, we used to, that's obviously a place where you would take Bibles into. And we've taken a lot into China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when we were doing this in the 90s and in the early 2000s even, you know, people were really, they really wanted the physical Bible because they couldn't get them. Even though the government was was printing, you know, a million Bibles a year. And yeah. get, you had to go to the three self-patriotic movement churches to get them. And then they were extremely limited. And when you think about the number of people in China, a million is a very small number. Yeah. Right? When they have way more, oh, so many people there. Um, so uh, when they were, when when uh, we would go, there was this great need for that. Well, then the, then the Bible, the smartphones came out, the Bible apps came out, and... People, even in China, they, you know, Chinese love technology. A lot of the Asian cultures, they really love the newest technology. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural yeah. a- thing. Asia as a continent is is typically always been ahead of uh, the Western world technologically. Yeah, they yeah, love it's just Yeah, I mean, even like in the early 2000s, they'd have these little phones that they would wear as necklaces. They were so small. You never mm-hmm. even saw them in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they had their smartphones. They got their Bible apps. So they people got in the habit of using the Bible app, and now... They weren't so concerned about getting physical Bibles. They weren't so concerned about mm-hmm. having physical Bibles. So you because might, they could have them on their phones. Right. Yeah. So you might have a church or, or a house church uh, that had, you know, 60 members. And there's maybe only two or three physical Bibles. And they weren't clamoring for them because they all have the digital Bibles. Here's what the government in China did uh, to use that against the Christians. Number one, they started tracking... Mm. Um, how often people were using their Bible apps 
And if you use them too much, it counted against your social credit score. Okay, and the social credit score, you know, once a, once an economy is completely electronic, currencies handled electronically, everything else is done digitally, then you can just say, well, sorry, you can't get on the bus because your social credit score is too uh, low, or you can't shop at these stores, or we're mm -hmm. just going to turn off your bank account, and you can't use any of your money with your cash card, yeah, uh, which is what they were using uh, back in the day. Well, not that many years ago, um, still are, I guess, to some extent. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they would. <clears throat> track that that would hurt your social credit score then what they did was as they were really cracking down hard in these last few day, years on the church mm -hmm. and you know anything that you're hearing happening to the uyghurs in uh, in china is happening to the to the christians as well yeah and so they're cracking down hard on the church so what they did was they would say oh look there's like 30 bible apps turned on in this one location that must be a house church yeah, and they would go in and arrest Christians and imprison them and right. worse. They'd come in, and, you know, like the Bunko Squad, we're busting this place up, and they'd haul yeah. them off. Uh, and so uh, then once they felt that they had done enough damage mm -hmm. uh, or they'd significantly shut down the house churches, they turned off the Bible app. Apple was mm -hmm. very happy to comply. Yeah, They said, please don't let the Bible app be available in China anymore. And the Bible app is now no longer in China. So now the only Bibles are the Physical hard, Bibles, the right. hard uh, copy Bibles. And beyond just the governments wanting to restrict and wanting to remove Bibles out of the hands of Christians, we also know that technology is not infallible. We know that there are things that can happen uh, with weather, things that can happen with whether it's a solar flare or something having to do with, you know, uh, we had an, an issue on the opposite side of our state where the electrical plant caught on fire and half of that entire county didn't have any power, didn't have any Wi-Fi, anything. And so there are a variety of things that can happen that can make uh, the Bible apps or electronic Bibles be unavailable. And we want to make sure that no matter what, in every single circumstance, no matter what's going on in the world, you will be able to engage with Jesus through his book. So just make sure that you have a physical Bible. You can use the Bible apps as well. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but don't rely upon those solely. You want to make sure that you have uh, at least one, preferably more than that, physical Bibles that you are utilizing and that, that you have on hand as well. It's really important. Yeah, I think when we have such a such a availability of Bibles, it's good to have multiple translations. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're really great to compare side by side. We'll talk about that in a future podcast as well about how to make how to do interpretive work by using multiple translations, especially yeah. when you don't know Hebrew and mm -hmm. Greek yeah. and Aramaic, right? So we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, but have multiple translations, have them, uh, physical copies of them somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, have a few that are a couple that are uh, really uh, accessible to you. Have a couple to give away or share. I was thinking the same thing. I was just about to say that. Yeah. yeah being able to give a Bible to somebody is huge because there are some people that, uh, can get kind of scared about not knowing what kind of Bible to get, not knowing uh, which translation or which version or what have you, and they end up not getting one at all because it's too uh, too kind of intimidating for them. 
Right. So if you just can say, you know what, here's a good Bible. I'm going to give you a copy. You should check this out. You should read it. Um, that could make all the difference in somebody's life. And have them read, if they haven't read it before, tell them read the Gospel of John or mm-hmm. read the Gospel of Mark. Yeah. Great place to start. Absolutely. If they never read anything else, they'll be ahead of 77% yeah. of the Christians. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's true. Unfortunately, so, that's true. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, we are so grateful that you spent this time with us. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about faith and how it defeats fear. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking a lot more about the Bible and yes. a deeper understanding of the Bible. So stick with us in the weeks to come. We're also doing, we'll put up specials periodically, which will be sermons I've preached or, or teachings that Maddie and I have done together on specific topics. They'll go away. They'll probably go into the hour and a half, two hour. Yeah. Range. Longer, more in depth, special episodes that won't be coming out on a weekly basis, but right. sporadically you'll see those. So, uh, God bless you all. Thanks for being with us. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the harder way podcast. If you were encouraged by this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review. To be the first to know when we publish new episodes, subscribe to the Harder Way podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time, remember the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.